Cripple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Well, hello there. Thank you so much for coming to this brand new episode of Disability After Dark. My name is, of course, Andrew Gerza. I am your number one queer cripple, and I am excited, so excited for this jam-packed episode. This one is going to go off right from the jump, so let's get right to it. So for this one, I talked to a new friend of mine, someone who I've been following in the sexuality and disability community for a while now. We were actually supposed to meet up a few months ago at a conference I was going to attend and speak at, but I got sick, yay IBS, thanks body, and I couldn't attend and I wasn't really able to go, so we never got to meet up, but we've been talking for months and months about doing a podcast episode together, and then I got busy and she got busy, and so finally today, literally two hours ago upon this recording, we sat down to do this. It was a really, really fun time. We talk about chronic illness and sexuality. We talk about personifying your chronic illness and why that's important. We talk about um, how chronic illness brain fog affects her sexuality, uh, how sensitivity to scent products affects her experience with sexuality and all those things. We talk a little bit about ableism and sexuality. Um, We have a really, really well-rounded conversation. We even talk about the fact that both of us are identify as Jewish only when there's Jewish food around. My love of latkes comes out. I love them so much. Um, This is a really, really fun, easy conversation. She was such a joy to talk to. We actually ended up talking for an hour after the podcast was done recording. I really, really enjoyed this, and I highly recommend, if you want to learn anything about chronic illness and sexuality, you head over to her blog, hedonish.com. I will put all that in the show notes. This was an amazingly fun interview, and one that I'm so happy to share, and I'm so glad that Rachel Roves is part of the sex and disability community, and that she wanted to speak with me. So... Here's my interview with Rachel Rose, right here on Disability After Dark. Also, just briefly before we get to the interview, just before I hit the, before I connect them together, there was a bit of issues with sound on my part. I kept moving my head because the mic was in a weird spot, and I didn't have my care worker available to move the mic for me. So if I sound a little bit like I'm cutting out, don't be alarmed. You're not you're not listening to this one to hear me talk. What Rachel has to say in this interview is the most important thing. So enjoy the interview. Um, this is my interview with Hedonish creator Rachel Rose right here on Disability After Dark. So 
the thing is on and we're doing it. We're doing the thing. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Rachel, I am so happy to have you on the show. You and I have been planning this literally, literally for, Months. what is it, July? <laughs> Months in the making. So it, we, we started talking about this in February, I believe. Was it? Oh, goodness. And then, I think the first email wasn't from February from around Playground. <laughs> it was, too, because Playground, I was supposed to present with you at this great panel, but then my body said no. But it's good that you took care of yourself. That's really what's, what's important. I had to because my body just said, you are not, you cannot leave the house. You are not going anywhere. Fuck off. Stay home. I was like, okay, fine. Sure, buddy. Sure. Whatever you want. Yeah. Bodies um, do that. At least there's Netflix. Thank goodness. Great so hi. Hi. I know who you are and I know I know what you do. Your name is Rachel Rose. But why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, the Disability After Dark audience, and please include your pronouns and um, anything you want us to know. Um, I'm sure I'm gonna forget things I wanna say, but hi, I'm Rachel Rose. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. Uh, I run a blog called Hedonish. Um, and I have for the last few years, uh, I started out reviewing sex toys and then, uh, as a chronically ill person, um, started talking about how much that impacts my sex life. Um, so that's my, my main focus lately is talking about chronic illness and sexuality and the, how they intersect. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. I speak at conferences, uh, pretty frequently lately and it's, it's been really lovely. That's awesome. You do all the things. And what I love about I just totally burped into the mic. I'm leaning in. <laughs> I'm not judging. Don't worry. <laughs> That'll probably happen on my end, I'm sure. So <laughs> let me try that again. <clears throat> what I love about your work is that you talk about stuff that and we don't really see in quote-unquote sex-positive spaces. You really – and I was reading some of your blog this morning before I did my, like, pretendy interview questions. Um, <laughs> and you talk about stuff like – not. N- you know, apologizing. You talk about stuff like how your body feels around chronic illness, around sex. You talk like stuff that I think people would love to have an outlet for, but don't have one until they stumble on your stuff. Um, tell me about why you wanted to connect these two things for yourself and what it means for you. I'd love to. Um, so growing up, I always just really was really fascinated with sex more um I had friends who really loved to talk about it. And I like, I think I did a lot of like living vicariously through them. And it always be, was always just a thing that um, was like totally normal to discuss. And so as I got older and um, I, I'm also a graphic designer, but I was feeling kind of like something was missing. And I really wanted to somehow become like be a part of this of sex education and, and the community that goes around it. Uh, and so I started my blog figuring I had no idea what else to do with, with myself to, to make that happen. Um, and as I said, I started out reviewing sex toys and then it kind of just, um, I was diagnosed, uh, with, it's been a number of things in the, in the past few years, or I'm sorry, in the past decade, but, uh, starting in my early twenties, I started receiving like chronic illness diagnosis, diagnoses. And it wasn't until around my mid twenties when I started my blog that those, those things started playing bigger roles in my life and my symptoms became more, um, things that I need to deal with on a daily basis. So right. it just felt really natural, like seeing how it affected my sex life. And then more importantly, realizing that when I looked for help online, I couldn't find anything. Isn't that um, the hardest when you're like, I, you're like, I just want to Google this and find something that, that is me 
on this website, but oh wait, there's nothing. Nothing. Like I, I knew that I, there was no way I was the only person these issues had happened to. I mean, statistically, you know, issues like um, dealing with, I mean, and, you know, I think this is stuff we'll probably talk about, you know, coming up. But um, with like the side effects from medications and vulva pain and like skin sensitivity and just random other stuff that totally impacts your sex life statistically happens to a lot of people. So, and statistically, a lot of people have sex. So there seems to be some kind of disconnect between the fact that nobody was actually discussing how these things impacted each other. Yeah. And, and I, I want to change that. And then I think that's so awesome. And I think it's because like, I think what you're saying about how like no one's talking about it is because it doesn't meet the narrative of like the white, able-bodied, cisgender, pretty girl in her strapless black bra and the hunky, like, six-packed, like, husband who lives in it, who works, who, they both live and work in New York, and they're both, like, super busy business people, and then they go home and they undress and fuck. It doesn't meet that, like, really super able. I think you just said the plot of Fifty Shades of Grey, didn't you? <laughs> didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Not to interrupt. I've never, I've never seen Fifty Shades of Grey. I refuse to. It's two either. pretty people, business people who go home and fuck. It's that's the synopsis. It's that hot, that hot like European <laughs> guy. What's his name? Really something gray. <laughs> yeah, but in real life, his name's like like he he's a hot hot actor, and I I've seen him. And I'm like, I just want to have sex with you, but I don't want to. Um, I don't want to contribute to your super shitty like role as like a basically an abuser maybe i don't know it feels it feels complicated Mixed feelings. Yeah. So, <laughs> sorry anyway, what were you saying before i totally cut you off i apologize my, my <laughs> point was but after we got on on a huge tangent which is awesome that's the whole this this show should be recalled andrew talks about sex and sometimes goes off on large giant tangents about things um <laughs> what I was saying was, you know, you know, d- having a chronic illness doesn't fit like the the Cosmo narrative of like, oh, five ways to give your man the best blowjob. Well, you know, how do you do that if you're having if you're having a skin flare up or if you're having like a pain day? Or, like, none of that fits that narrative so well. So I think that's why so many people aren't talking about it because it doesn't fit with our very ableist idea of what sex is supposed to look like. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people don't want to read about things like like sexual pain disorders or, you know, to give an example, like vulvodynia, um, which is something I have, uh, when they talk about sex, it's it's inherently not sexy to talk about, like, obviously, there are good types of pain that are involved in the discussion around sex, but I don't think anybody really wants to talk about the parts, the things that you're not getting to choose, the things that um, aren't impacting you in a way that you want them to. Totally. Uh, it does, it's not sexy, so it's kind of pushed aside. And yeah. I also think that there's this whole narrative where, like, people who, who deal with health issues, like doctors and, and I think, like, the general public, both kind of get this, this impression that, like, well, why are they worried about sex? Don't they have bigger fish to fry? Like, but it's still an important part of everybody's life. Who wants it to be? Obviously, not everybody wants to have sex. But yeah, totally. But those of us who are who are you know who are who are wanting to be sexually active, I think we. But I, I love the way you do it. Like I, I went on your blog twice this morning, and just looking at oh, the chef. visuals and the way you set it up, it's so, it's so. And I don't mean this in a like, in a minimizing way. It's cute in that like it doesn't 
it's not it doesn't present the material in like really scary super I'm disabled and I have sex and this is like a big deal it's really like it's really artsy which I can see now and then when, when you said you were a graphic designer I was like oh now I see all the things like it's really I like how it's like DIY sex and chronic illness yeah I want it to be approachable. Um, I think that there's a lot of, I, I, I'm a big nerd. So, um, especially when I fall into a a black hole, uh, the the black hole that is PubMed, um, which is uh, for anybody who doesn't know a website that uh, has a lot of uh, peer reviewed medical journal, journal articles. Um, And I, I like read those things for fun. I read these like I spend like half my time Googling what the words are and the other half reading it and then rereading it a couple of times. Um, oh my God, you that, are such a nerd and I'm so here for it. Like I didn't realize <laughs> that. Now I'm like, yes, can we be best friends, please? And like, yeah. I've been to doctor's offices where they're like, so are you a nurse? And I was like, no, I'm a designer. <laughs> but I read. <laughs> so um, well, that comes with having a chronic illness, I think. Uh, I'm sorry, a rare chronic illness, which... Um, uh, and not to derail the topic, but so what I have is called indolent systemic mastocytosis. I usually just call it masto because people's eyes glaze over when I say the full name. Um, I lose their attention immediately. Um, but basically, my body has too many of a certain um, immune system cell called a mast cell, and they don't behave properly. So instead of only having allergic reactions when your body really needs to fight something off, like a virus or... Um, something else that is important for your body's functioning. Uh, my sure. body thinks everything is attacking me. Uh, basically, my immune system is a total drama queen. Oh, no. <laughs> just as like, oh, heat, that must be attacking us. We should just, you know, like release the hounds. And um, mast cells hold a lot of chemicals in them. They're called mediators. And they tell other parts of your body, like other cells in your body what to do. And so when there's an, something that your body perceives to be an allergen, it releases all these chemicals and those chemicals cause havoc. And that's what usually causes most of my symptoms. Um, that's the really simple overview. But when you have something that's really rare that even your doctors aren't familiar with, you really have to kind of be a big old nerd um, yeah. and do some deep dives into a lot of literature because you're the one educating your doctors and the people around you. Yeah, um, and It's I, the best way to keep yourself safe and I, healthy. Yeah, I mean, it totally is. Because I mean, I, I've learned... And I've talked on this podcast about my experiences with IBS and um, my experiences with with um, C. difficile and all like fun things that have happened to me in the last year and a half. Super fun, so sexy, you know. But I agree, you you go to the doctor because you think they're gonna know everything and they're gonna like mm-hmm. save you, quote unquote, save you. And then you very quickly realize they're just people who, you know, my doctor and she's great, but she pulls up Google more than I would like her to. <laughs> she pulls My doctor said the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know if it's Google or if it's their like medical version of that, but it's like, I really wish that I would just tell you this and you wouldn't immediately run to your resource to figure out if it's right. <laughs> well, exactly. So exactly that happens to me a lot too. So I've started, um, I, I got tired. I have so many doctors, uh, especially when I was going through like the diagnosis process and dealing with, um, because each doctor wants to treat a different part of your body. So like when you say systemic, that affects everything. You see, you know, a, a, a certain doctor for your stomach. You see another doctor for your the allergies. You see another one for this and that. And at some point, you like your medical records are just scattered across the world. Um, and so I have a big old bag full of my medical records. And in that, when I bring them to a new doctor's office, I usually 
print out what I think are the most, um, either the ones that have better graphics or are like simple to read conclusions, uh, different articles that I can highlight and then show to my doctor so that when they don't believe me, which happens a lot as a chronically ill person. And I think also as somebody uh, who's a woman, because uh, there's a lot of doctors um, have trouble believing women, especially when it comes to pain and other issues. Fucking patriarchy. Um, like, geez, right? <laughs> fuck. No, no. But then when they question me, I'm just like, well, here's here's the peer-reviewed medical journal article that says exactly what I'm saying. And you're like, here's it one of your time. peers who wrote this thing that is just echoing what I said. So because they are someone who has a white coat on, you will listen to both of us now because like, that must be so frustrating for you because like, you have to do all the work, and then when they see a doctor's name on it, they're like, okay, yeah, all right, okay. You know what makes me feel better? When what? I think about how much student debt the doctors have. <laughs> sure, they're listened to, but they're thinking about how much debt they have to deal with. This is so true. 50, 60, it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's, it's obviously a shame that that happens, too. That shouldn't happen. But um, in I mean, my mind, it kind of makes me like... It makes me feel a little bit better about, um, you know, the whole situation. Totally. Um, <laughs> uh, we got off on some awesome tangents there. I'm going to go on another one right now. Why Please did do. you name the blog Hedonish? What does it mean? Can you like explain that to us? Okay. So um, Hedonish, so it comes from the word hedonist. Uh, and I was raised, I'm not religious, but I was raised Jewish. And I always told my mom well, that I was I am Jewish. too. <laughs> You do? I didn't realize. Awesome. Welcome. You know, we're everywhere. Who knew? Um, we're so everywhere. <laughs> and I, you know, it's funny. I could tell you have a little bit of the Jewish accent happening because I also have the Jewish accent. So I knew as soon as you started talking, I was like, I think she's Jewish. I'm not sure, but I think so. Well, if, if that didn't give it away at some point, I will probably say oy vey. Um <laughs> So there'll probably be some Yiddish thrown in for good measure. Amazing. Some, my favorites um but i i always told my mom i was only jewish for the food me uh, too though <laughs> but actually can you... <laughs> but for so, real <laughs> so i'm saying i'm jewish and i was driving home <laughs> so i was like well i guess i'm not like a hedonist but i'm like hedon and then i was like "Ooh, i like that and then i realized it was like the first thing i had thought of that nobody else had used on any platform before so i was like sold it's one word I can. I already had a good idea in my head for the logo, which, as a graphic designer, is usually how I picture everything. Yep. And uh, and so it just kind of stuck. And and uh, I, I I am I am probably unnecessarily proud of it. <laughs> like, I, I'm like I, wow, no, I'm I think, clever. I think now that I know it's connected to to Jewishness a little bit, I it makes me like it so much more. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad. Uh, <laughs> so, in one of your blog posts, and we talked about this a little bit before I hit record, in one of your posts, you talk about naming your chronic illness. You named him Fred. Um, can you talk about like why you wanted to personify your chronic illness and what that meant for you? And then I'll get to the next set of questions with that. Awesome. Um, so, at the time, I was still... Uh, I, I've since... Mostly for health reasons and also well, mostly the health reasons. I had a boss that was pretty awful. But uh, I left my full-time job last year and I've been working freelance design and sex education. Good for you. But at the time. That's amazing. Clap, clap, I'm, I'm, it's, snap, it's, snap. Like I'm so 
when people say they left the corporate world to be like, I'm doing this thing for me, it makes me so excited because I know what that's like. The hustle in the freelance world is hard as fuck. And if you can so bad. Like, so hard. achieve something there as a chronically ill person or a disabled person who's doing it to be like, no one else put this shit out there. I'm doing it because I A, want to, and B, I need to, and C, fucking pay us. Like, <laughs> I just think it's really, really, when I hear someone says they, they took their passion, especially around being a marginalized you know, community member, I'm just like, yes, I'm here for it. I'm so here for it. So I'm here for you. I appreciate that. And because I, I think that like as a, especially somebody who doesn't fit like the worker bee status, like I, I, I'm never able, uh, even on my best days, there's no way that I'm going to be able to um, go into an office and never have to leave for a doctor appointment or health reasons or um, I, I, there's a million things that make me not the right fit for somebody who's just going to sit in the back of like the office in a cubicle yep. and be like a, like a diligent worker. I mean, I've always managed to get my work done on time, which you know, which I think is the important part. But unfortunately, a lot of corporate places don't think that that is really the priority. It's that you need to sit down and kind of blend in, and that's almost impossible when you're somebody who doesn't, who isn't able to do that. So you kind of have to create something that works for you. Yeah, I mean, you have to do freelance because, like, because disability kind of forces you into that role. But then at the same time, mm-hmm. like, thank God for freelance. Like, thank right goodness for yes. that so so anyway again huge giant tangent keep talking i'll stop talking now i'm great with tangents like that's my my brain only works in tangents so it works for me Amazing. um so uh so at the time i was working in the corporate world uh and i was like not really sure where i was gonna go with the sex ed stuff it, you know kind of feeling skeptical about like well is this thing actually going to to become something and work out and i didn't want to shoot myself in the foot so to speak um and so the condition I have, uh, mastocytosis, is really, really rare. Uh, and I have also worked previously uh, very closely with with some of the um, nonprofit that work with patients who have it. Um, and be- because of the, it's it's one of those, not a lot of doctors know about it. And it's it can be a challenge to diagnose for some people. So the average diagnosis time, as of an article I read a few years ago, was like 19 years. Whoa. So I got diagnosed, it's, it's wild. I um, got diagnosed pretty quickly for some, uh, I had a great doctor and some other specific reasons. And um, so because of that, I am significantly younger than the majority of people I know who have it, which made it real obvious that if I use the actual name, it would um, also because there's not a ton of information on the internet about it, that if I put the name in my blog post, that it was going to show up in search results relatively highly. And I wasn't ready to like come out of the closet about my blog yet, I guess. Um, I've since gotten past that, but uh, I do think that sometimes personifying um, personifying your chronic illness can be can kind of be like an asset when you need it. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, some, it's something yeah. that I never heard of until... Well, so I sort of heard about it, but I never really like thought about it until I really read your stuff. So now, like, all of a sudden today, I was like, I wonder, should I name my cerebral palsy, like, something? Should I give it, like, a cool, like, I don't know, Chris? I don't, I don't know. I like Chris. It's a good one. It's a good solid name, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it gives you something to kind of direct your feelings at. And, like, and, and, and you know, honestly, sometimes your frustration or your anger, like, it gives you something to... Um, to yell at. To yell at. And also when you talk to the people who are closest to you in your life, it's sometimes like 
sounds nice to be like, well, Fred was being a dick today rather than being like, <laughs> um, I don't feel good again, you know, because you kind of feel like you're sometimes I feel like a broken record where like I'm having a rough day or I don't feel good. Um, and I get sick of saying the same things all the time and hearing myself repeat them in my head. And, and so sometimes it just sounds it's like a, it's like a change of pace in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it's like you're talking about somebody else versus like and then the the quote unquote blame that we put towards disabled people for being disabled or chronically ill or mad or whatever it is, the blame we kind of automatically put to them is taken off because Fred's someone completely different. And the blame you put toward yourself. I mean, I think, I think it's, I mean, logically we all know like we're not responsible for how our bodies function, but I think sometimes, especially when it's something, um, that's not like an obvious physical thing too, that it like, a, it, like my brain fog, which is this weird tangible thing, like not, I'm sorry, excuse me, not tangible thing that like, it's like this, it's just a feeling and like, I can tell how it affects me, but it's not like there's no s- solid edges to it that I can define it with. Um, yeah. And so it makes it hard not to somehow like reflect that back on myself and feel like I could be trying harder or doing better. And so when you have somewhere to direct that, it kind of takes it off of you a little Oh bit. my God, the trying harder, doing better thing when you're a disabled oh or chronically ill person, especially when you work in our like niche little industry of like sex, mm-hmm. chronic illness and disability, the trying and doing better and the, like wanting to one up the, the next disabled person because they've stolen your idea. It's horrible. And we all have it's, to stop doing tough. it. Well, and, and that's, I'm honestly, I've become a really big fan of the, um, like, of community over competition. And I think that that's really, I think there's a strong vibe behind that in, in our little sex positive community, um, which I, like, I love. I see all the time, like, anytime someone sees something about graphic design or about chronic illness, like, my name pops up in a Facebook post, um, you know, someone trying to get my attention about it. And, and I love that. There's been such a great sense of community, which I think, honestly, and I don't want to derail this, this topic too much, but it's it's led to a lot of like positive feelings and acceptance around my chronic illness too. Mm-hmm. Just finding people who are like who treat differences just as differences and not like a bad thing. Yeah, has been really like a, such a positive thing in my life. Which is um, like so rare because usually we treat difference with so such rare. such hatred. Like really, it really is like just rooted in fear. And lack of understanding and not people not wanting to be inconvenienced. Um, my, one of my, my biggest trigger right now, and, and there's, there's a whole long list of them, but the one that impacts me the most and is the hardest to avoid is fragrances and chemicals. Fragrances, this is my, I'm going to step on my, my soapbox for a moment here. Oh, do um, <laughs> um, So like 97% of personal care products in the world, or in the U.S. at least, have, um, and, and I know you're in Canada, but I, I know the U.S. statistics a lot better. <laughs> um, but it's all good. They're basically, uh, they're basically the same. Although, given that... Trump, well, there actually are some important differences. I didn't know that. And also, soon, given that Trump is fucking around with our trade, uh, <laughs> I don't know how that's... what If we're going to be doing anything with the U.S. much anymore, I don't know. <laughs> we can only hope it takes a, a positive turn after the next election. Right. But uh, it's a whole thing. Um, but um, so, so avoiding fragrances, and, and it's become a really big marketing trend, at least in the United States, that um, to, to scent buildings through their HVAC system, which is something that I've run into in a number of places. It's specifically bad. It's, 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 um, it's extra bad in, like, extra bad, no, in, in malls and hotels. Um, but I've seen places do it in doctor's offices. Wow. In... 
I've had I've had to I have had to quote unquote fire a number of doctors because I couldn't be in their office without getting sick. Oh wow! I've had my, I've had if I <laughs> because I'm this cool I have like a mental tally of like my top five worst allergic reactions <laughs> and they all took place <laughs> in doctors' tell offices. Me that's, please if if it's not already please tell me it's a listicle somewhere like have you reached? Out it's to, not, but I should do that. Like have you reached out to Buzzfeed and been like, hey, you like like let's let's figure that out. <laughs> I have like my top five foods, my top five allergic reactions, you know, top five TV show. You just have like a top five everything, right? So, um, but it's it's really common, and it's something that's actually. And I don't I don't know if you if you if you saw this yet. Um, oh, I did. So I had uh, oh. at the, about the playground conference. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just a, a brief recap is there. Uh, that's one of many hotels where the conference was held. Um, that pump fragrances into their HVAC system. And I, for obvious reasons, had a hard time breathing and, and functioning in those rooms. Yep. Um, and after driving 10 plus hours to be there, and um, I was supposed to present as well, because um, we were supposed to present together way before um, initially. And um, and the only presentation I, I was able to attend the entire time was my own. Oh, the one that I, was part that, of. I mean... Oh. I got bits and pieces of other ones, and they were all wonderful. The conference... From what I was able to attend was fantastic. Sam is um, Sam is she's wonderful, fantastic. For anyone who's listening, who's like, "What are they talking about?" It's a a playground conference in Toronto that happened that happens every couple of years. If the organizer can figure it out, and basically the hotel with the it was at this year wouldn't uh, wouldn't well did sense horrible things, and then when people complained about it, basically said, oh, we can't have you for 2019, bye. So, yeah, super ableisty bullshit happening there. Right. So because I went to their front desk, I tried to tell them that I was having trouble breathing. Like, what can you do? Can you turn off? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the the back-end system is that diffuses these the um, the fragrances. Uh, They denied that there was one, even though every it was not just me noticing it. Of course Um, there is. And eventually I turned to Twitter. So, uh, you know, kind of like trying to get mostly not to, I mean, if I can shame them into changing their policies, like I would do it, but really, cause I, I wanted help. I wanted to attend the conference. I, yeah. Like nobody starts off initially being, I'm going to shame you because I want to shame you. It's like, I'm only doing this because I want to get my needs met first. I just like, would like to be able to breathe. I don't, I don't think that's asking for too much. I really don't um, think, it, you know, I don't think being, uh, being asking to breathe is really a, a big deal. Hotels. <laughs> We're talking to you. Um, and uh, so, and then I was so, I actually left it off with like a, on a really positive note with the company. Like I continued talking to them and their corporate staff um, after the conference and sent them resources and information about, um, about why this is hazardous and not just to people who have weird, rare conditions like I do. Uh, there's been, because I'm a big old pub nerd, pub med nerd, um, the 30%, there's an article published that are studies that show that 30% of the, the US population, at least, react, have negative um, impacts from fragrance, from fragrances and chemicals in the air. Um, like anything ranging from like asthma issues to like migraines. Um, it affects like a wide range of people uh, and can do really harmful things to them. We're just the people who are more sensitive are more like the canary in the mines. So I left it on a good note with them, only to hear that they decided to refuse the next year's contract. Largely, everybody we all kind of believe because of what I tweeted at them, which is like, 
well, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, not what I'm well, gonna do. I don't think it's you. I think they're just being no, I super corporate and gross. I mean, and, and and Sam, like Sam is heartbroken, but also like fuck you, hotel. Like no, ew. And Sam has handled the whole thing beautifully and, and has been super supportive and wonderful. And, you know, it's just an unfortunate outcome from a situation that obviously didn't what that wasn't the that wasn't the, the goal no, no, of the situation of by any means. Um, and it's just an unfortunate way to handle it. And I think it just shows um, a, a, a larger kind of what we were saying with the work environment. Like there's just a really strong lack of understanding around a lot of things that that relate to chronic illness. It's another form of, I think, environmental ableism, like, mm-hmm. and it's really, and then, you know, corporate ableism and like, what if you, what if it was the CEO of that hotel who was like, I basically run, fund your life, turn off the things. And they said, no, like the CEO would be like, came out. It's their corporate policy yeah. supposedly to have it, which is, um, and the reason behind it is it's, it's called, I've heard a couple of names for it, scent marketing or ambient scenting. And there's studies to show, well, because smell is the closest sense tied to memory, um, that like when they do it in stores, certain smells make people spend more money. Or if you do it in hotels, it makes you feel homey. They even sell candles with the specific fragrances they use in their hotels. That's Um, And the last conference I was at even had the smell going into the hotel room. So now I have to remember to call in advance to tell them not to do that. (laughs) Just one more, one more thing on my to do list that I probably won't ever remember mean, to do. I mean, like, I'm all about sense, but usually, to be really crass with the audience, it's a man's armpit that I'm all about. I'm not so much about like gross scents that are gonna hurt me and make me sick. And if that, if if a scent made me sick, and I'm telling you that, and I'm there at a conference patronizing your space, maybe don't, maybe listen to me. <laughs> And you know what? There's so many, um, and I don't want to. This will t- probably. I don't want to get into this. I'll take it totally off. Like, oh, off we, the rail I don't even remember what. I don't even remember what our initial. We were talking was. about um, Fred, that, and then somehow we're here. Fred, and here we are now. Um, but there are so many good ways to make places smell good that don't involve artificial fragrances. Um, a lot of people do. I don't personally react to essential oils, or at least most of them. Some people do, but. And so, like, you know, we should accommodate everybody. But if we have to f- put fragrances in somewhere, maybe don't use things that are untested. Yeah, that are toxic. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. So I'm going to – and I could talk to you about this all day. Yes. So the takeaway from this section is Andrew likes armpits and listen yep. to dis- – important facts. <laughs> and listen to <laughs> Sorry. listen to disabled people when they say don't do sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was that last part there? I was laughing and then I. I, I forgot. Awesome. It's no big deal. Awesome. I have no idea. I am not editing this, <laughs> so all of this joy will be in for the audience here, because um, it's all too good and it's all part yeah. of. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> so back to Fred. Um, do you have any stories right. about how Fred has impacted your sex life? And when I was writing this question out, I was gonna say positively or negatively, and then I was like, Nah, fuck it. How like has Fred impacted your sex life at all? The do you have any stories you want to share about that? Uh, I have. It's affected my life in in so many ways. It's it's almost hard to like give a list, um, but I can think of like some examples. Um, so, depending on how I'm feeling, um, I so so one. There's some connection between um, mastocytosis and vulvodynia, which is unexplained vulva pain, 
uh, and because vulvas are mysterious and nobody wants to research research them too much, uh, so they're not really sure what the connection is. But uh, it's clear that for me at least there is one, uh, although I don't know that that's the case with everybody with vulvodynia. Um, but that impacts my sex life uh, in oh, the yeah. most obvious ways. Um, clearly, if you have vulva pain, it's probably going to impact your yeah, sex life. Yeah, definitely. If you have a vulva. Um, also like some less expected ways would be, um, like there are times where my skin is just too sensitive. So like if someone is like nicely rubbing my arm, even in a very platonic way, uh, after like, you know, 30 seconds or so, it's like, it feels like someone's rubbing sandpaper on my skin. Um, and that doesn't happen all the time, but it's kind of sometimes happens and I'm not expecting it. So I'm like, wow, that feels terrible. Uh, and yesterday I love that thing. So, you know, something like that, um, a lot of medications, can, uh, especially because a lot of the meds that they use for mastitosis are antihistamines, because histamine is one of the chemicals that mast cells release. Uh, histamines are super drying. So as someone with a vulva, that can also be an issue, needing a lot of extra lube, and then also simultaneously developing very strange allergies to lubes. Like every six months, I develop a new, like suddenly I develop a sensitivity to something that I'm using and need to find a new oh, wow. one. That's specific to me, though. That, like, doesn't... I, I don't think that happens to most people. Still, though. I mean, um, it's frustrating when you're like, yeah, I found the thing that's going to be okay now. And then six months later, you're like, fuck, I don't know. Like, the hunt. And what do I do with these other three bottles I ordered? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so, yeah, usually you I get start friends, a, you and start family, like, friends and Friends and family, you not just friends. Like, this lube doesn't work for me anymore. Like, giveaway contest on your blog or something. I've thought about it. I still have a number of bottles like, sitting would, in front of me um, off the side on the table. Go, like, I almost said, I almost was used a slur that I didn't mean to. People would be really excited to do that, I think. And the, just that it's a, it's a branding option for you. Cool. I would definitely keep that in mind because uh, so far I've been trading friends, like a friend uh, who's a photographer, uh, sex toys that didn't work for me and lube that I can't, Amazing. that I never used uh, in exchange for, for, for um, photography Amazing. skills. So uh, it's a good, it's a good exchange. Um, those are just a couple, but I, I know that there's, there's more. Is there, um, any, is there a moment where you were like, where you were like, Fred, you made this sex really good for me today. Like did that, has that ever happened? I really wish oh, I could say I was yes. Secretly hoping you'd be like, "Yeah, there was this I, one time." <laughs> but I will say this: like, um, the, so when I started developing vulva pain and looking into it, because it took me an excessively long time to get a diagnosis, or at least what felt—I mean, it's a lot shorter than a lot of people. But as somebody who already knew what the issue was, it felt really aggravating. Um, so I waited months for a gyno appointment, and no one—and and my gyno didn't know what it was. Uh, and then I had to wait like eight months to get an appointment with a specialist. Uh, and shortly before that, found another specialist who was available sooner and was able to, to finally get some help. But in the meantime, when I was Googling things on my own, um, I kept coming across this advice that was like, you know, one, it was very geared toward heterosexual married couples. Isn't that like every, um, isn't that all sex all advice? Is. <laughs> yes, everything. Like, um, and it was like, you should just like hold hands and stare into each other's eyes. And that'll and that'll be just as good as sex. No. Um, and and if that is what someone wants to engage in, like that is spectacular, and I am sure that you can make like, that like yeah, a it really is. But like the moment. idea that the, when I said you know what I meant was I'm not yucking anybody's yum. I'm saying 
I'm saying like, oh, of course. Like, ew. Why? Why? Why would you? Why would you force us to stop there? Right. Like that's like. Wait, you're saying like that's the best? That's my best option, and and best option being that because for me that's not that, that's not the answer I was looking for. Um, I I enjoy you know PIV sex and other types of sex, and didn't want to have but to I'm be like, well, those are off the right table now with this conversation, As I'm listening to you talk, I'm I'm giggling because I'm like, she's being so professional, and also like, wait, this sounds professional. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you can tell me you like you like to be you like to get. Dirty with the things. I mean, so I, I don't know. I guess I, I guess I um I don't think I sounded that professional, but I am glad that you do. Well, well um, anytime I hear somebody say PIV sex, I'm like, it's so it sounds really like profesh. Like I'm gonna say the the appropriate. I'm gonna use the appropriate acronym. Well, I don't want to just say like I like getting fucked because that could be like a <laughs> lot of different things. <laughs> Too. I like doing a lot of fucking everyone. I'll, I'll be the one to sing. I like I like doing all the things. I enjoy m- most, if not all, of the things. So, um, but but um, I didn't want to like I, I didn't I, that advice really like pissed yeah. me off. To be honest, like I was just really frustrated that like wait this is all these doctors and researchers who claim to know all these things about sex and sex positivity like this is this is what they're offering me like maybe take a shower together like that's like stuff like that and. While those are great things to do with a partner, yeah, you want to be more and so more intense for what your for what your needs are. Right, exactly. And somebody who like was like, I felt like it was written geared toward like a like a like a postmenopausal middle aged woman who just like a demographic that I lived in like Cape Cod with Um, her dogs and her two kids. Yeah. That sounds like a beautiful place to live. Anyway, that's it. I digress. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a nice life. Um, but but so I think the positive thing that has come out of having mastitosis and having vulvodynia and other health issues has been like, it's it has forced me to expand my definition of sex, but in ways that like yeah. still fit my needs uh, and weren't like initially um, being spoken about. Like, so a couple examples would be like, you can totally have sex with your pants on and that's awesome. It is awesome. Um, I have sex with my pants really on sexy. <laughs> a lot. And it's great. And if you're somebody who has like, like not only does vulvodynia cause pain, but it's caused a lot of anxiety around sex for me and like my relationship with my body. And like, it's a whole bunch of, it's a whole Pandora's box of feelings. I'm, I'm composed of like 99% feelings Amazing. and I'm like 1% sure. water. And a lot of those I'm pretty sure that I've just discovered the title <laughs> for this episode. Uh <laughs> It's going to be a lot of tangents um, and a little bit about sex, <gasps> or it's going to be ninety nine percent feelings and one percent water. I like that. Right. I think she used yes. that one. That's my vote. I'm casting my vote. Um, and so, um, you know, so 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 being able to leave my pants on and like take that the part or, of my body that maybe isn't like I don't have a great me. relationship with right now out of the equation totally can make sex yeah, better because yeah, I'm not totally, thinking about it. Completely. And I, I agree. And I think, you know, having a space where you can, having the opportunity to expand what sex means for you is for all of us. I mean, it takes so long to get out of that structured idea of like, sex is, I insert my genitals into another genitals and that's sex. When, it's like, and so when you oh, start to sorry, expand, I'm just saying when you start to expand, 
it's so much more freeing because you're like, wow, that like hand job that didn't really amount to a lot of insertion felt really good too. That was sex. You just start enjoying things for like what they are rather than like what you're supposed to be what, doing. Or what society what tells you or what that doing. Cosmo magazine tells you you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and once you start appreciating things for like what they are, so they're much more, a lot awesome. more awesome. You could also name, we could also name this episode Sex with my pants on is awesome. <laughs> it is. Um, oh, and another another example of something that like like mutual masturbation is probably, in my opinion, the most underrated yep. sexual activity of all time. Yep. It is fantastic. It is the it is it is fun. It is very sexy yep. to watch and participate in. Um, as you can imagine, as a designer, I am a very visual person, so I'm like, ooh, things to watch. Like, like, and that helps keep my brain engaged because so, I have a really wait, noisy brain. Does, does um, watching, does watching your partner like get off, or knowing they're watching you get off, does it help with your brain fog? It doesn't help with my brain fog, but it helps with like. So I also have ADHD. Hey, what up? Uh, which. Yeah, um, and it's always been relatively manageable for me, but having brain fog has kind of become like this ADHD playground in my head where like suddenly everything I know how to do to manage it no longer works uh, because br my brain fog definitely uh, impacts my cog uh, my, I'm sorry, my executive function awesome. abilities. Um, and so my ADHD is like, let's run wild. And so somebody who has a kind of anxious and noisy brain already, it's like it totally up the ante. The, uh, the ante. So uh, I like having someone like being able to watch somebody or even like dirty talk, just things that keep my brain from like wandering uh, are really helpful for me to stay in the moment. Nice. Um, are you, mm -hmm. are you seeing any special people right now? I have a, uh, a partner that I live with who we've been together like wow. almost 12 years actually. And then we've been married. It'll be wow. five in November. Uh, and then I have some other partners that I also see nice. who I do awesome. not live with, who I've been seeing for less time. We were monogamous for like 10, a little over 10 years. And just recently in like the last year and a half opened up our relationship. So that's cool that's and new and new that's awesome. I am it's very new. Definitely non-monogamous, <laughs> but I've never been with more than, I've never like been with a partner who's like, I want to be your primary or I want to be a partner of like, I, I'm. I'm the queen of like, let's hook up once and then I'll never see you again. And it's not because I don't want to. It's because hookups are predominantly like, okay, thanks for that. Bye. But yeah, I'm monogamous in my, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm polyamorous in my brain, uh, but I've never been with someone else. Like, I've never been with a gotcha. bunch of partners at one time, but it's my dream. It's my dream. But that's so that's one of my favorite things that I've learned as a sorry, another tangent uh, about like the, and being part of a sex positive community is like I absolutely fucking love seeing so many different relationship styles and sexual like and, and, and sexual interactions between people and like how everything is handled and how it just kind of it's not based on any preconceived notion of how things are supposed to be. It's just what works for the people involved and seeing like how much happier sometimes people seem from that. Like, what, whatever they're doing. That's, I mean, I think I think um, I, seeing people in poly relationships who are, or non-monogamous relationships, who are happy, like, and I like I have a really high sex drive. Everybody who's listening to this knows that, but like I, I have not had the chance to like 
to, you know, to test it out with more than one partner at a time. And I'm like, I would love to just see what that feels like to be like, oh, I have a boyfriend and I have this boyfriend. I'm like, I would love to just try it out. I hope that happens. I mean, I hope you find people that you, you want to keep around. Sounds, Anyone you know, listening, awesome. I'm just, I'm pretty much coming out as Polly again on the show. So uh, hit me up. <laughs> um, uh, okay. <laughs> so one of the things you talk about a lot in your blog and one of the things that I was initially drawn to when I wanted to talk to you a few months ago, and we started this, this saga of a conversation of getting you on the show, which I'm so happy is happening right now. Um, yes. You write about dealing with sexual side effects from meds you may take as a mm-hmm. chronically ill slash disabled person. So first, just so people understand mm-hmm. a little bit better, what, what in your view are sexual side effects? Like, is it like, is it like, so sex, sorry, so sexual, sorry. is it like, sorry, I can't get an erection? Is it like, is it like my, my, my genitals hurt today? Like what, what is it? So the way that I see it is sexual side effects can encompass any number of symptoms, but it's basically the term I use to describe an unattended effect of a medication uh, that impacts someone's sex life. However, they feel that they've been impacted. So like loss of libido or vaginal dryness or anorgasmia, which is the inability to have an orgasm, erectile dysfunction, numbness, those are all... And there's totally more that I'm not naming, but um, those are all great examples of what sexual side effects can be. Okay. Um, and so, first of all, the inability to have an orgasm is sounds really unpleasant. Uh, oh, that's the one. That's the one that I was referring to when I wrote the article. Um, I was on put on a medication. I think it was like an SNRI, which is uh, one of the. It, it, it impacts, it's an antidepressant, but also works as an anti-anxiety. And I was taking it specifically because it has, um, it helps with nerve pain. Um, so I think it was with Cymbalta specifically. Uh, and it was because I have some nerve pain issues. Um, but being on it meant that I couldn't have an orgasm or like it would take just such a excessively long time. That, not that there is a time that is too long, but it was like, I was like ready to, like, I was like, no, nope, we're throwing in the towel. <laughs> we're done. I'm exhausted. Like it's, and it was just really frustrating um, because that's something that is a priority for me. Um, and I think that part of the struggle of going off of it uh, when I was discussing with my doctor, who was wonderful in like so many ways uh, and is somebody like I like adore, um, is, is that her priorities and my priorities about sex are very different. And I think that's something a lot of people run into because it, it kind of took a lot of extra convincing to be like, no, this is my choice because for my body, for like my life, like. I would rather be in a little bit of pain um, and still be able to have an orgasm. And that kind of like boggled her mind. But I think that's kind of like how you have to approach it is as somebody, um, when it comes to sexual side effects, there are always give and take. Um, side effects. Yeah, it's like a, ba- it's a delicate balance of symptoms and side effects. Um, I can tell you a number of my medications have side effects but the symptoms they're fixing are worse than the side effects. Yeah. And so they're worth sticking around, keeping around because it benefits me in a positive way. There are other things that um, I had, a, I was on a medication earlier this year for, that helped my brain fog a little bit, but I was so depressed. I like couldn't function. Uh, and, and so that had to go because it was causing more damage than it was positive uh, impact on my life. So I think that's kind of how you have to approach the sexual side effects too, is, is just kind of look at like what your priorities are and what you feel is right for your body and look at also, you know, 
what your symptoms that you're treating and how those impact you and kind of which, which are the, uh, which kind of went out at least today or whenever you're discuss- you know, thinking about it. Uh, and you can always reevaluate that later. Yeah. Your and so change. when you, when you were talking to your doctor about like, Hey, if there's a little bit of pain, I'm okay. Did they, did they, were they like, okay, were they like, sure. Okay, all right. Or like, why would you want this pain? We should take it away. Uh, she was a little skeptical. Um, this is a doctor, this particular doctor that I'm referring to in this situation was somebody that I'm very close with. She was actually oh, at my you. wedding. Um, <laughs> like she, she, we, we have a great relationship. Um, did she start as a doctor and then you were like, and you know, so you many, helped me all the years and now he did. come to my wedding. She did actually. She, um, she's become like practically like a big sister. Um, and, uh, she was, I walked in when I got diagnosed with mastitosis, I've been to another doctor who was a man who um, I have like this, this part of it on my skin. So they're clusters of mast cells under my skin. And to most people, they look like freckles. Like they're really not noticeable. It's fine. But when I get out of like a hot shower or I, I, my mast is being triggered, they turn oh. into like mosquito bites, kind of like that kind of look. And so I went into a doctor to complain about my dots, which I, t- I used to call my mom and tell her my dots are angry because I didn't know what the hell they were. Um, and he biopsied a freckle. And didn't listen uh, to me. Yeah, right. shocking. Shocker. Um, I know a male doctor who didn't listen to like a young female patient. That's such a surprise. Such that's a surprise. Throw everybody into boxes, but that's very typical. Um, and so I walked into this doctor's office a couple years later, and I was like, I have these dark under eye circles, and she's like, Well, you're stuck with those. Those are genetic. But I think I know what these things on your arms are, and that's how I got diagnosed so quickly. And she knew what they were, and I saw her so frequently so after that we developed a friendship. And I actually see her every month for uh, scalp injections for another associated. Uh, my question about that is: Do you have what I think I might have? Do you? Have, are we talking about with the scalp thing? Do you have um, dryness there? I have a type of alopecia, actually. Which, if anybody has ever seen a picture of me, I have giant. I love your hair. You probably so don't much. believe me. <laughs> Thank you. I do too. Um, which is what I was pretty devastating to be told you have alopecia. Um, and this particular kind, uh, they thought it's thought to have an autoimmune cause, which doesn't surprise me since a lot of my health stuff revolves around my immune system. Um, and it, it causes scar tissue to form under yep. the surface of your skin, which pushes the hair follicles out. And if you don't treat it, the scar tissue oh. means hair will never go back. Most types of alopecia grow back eventually. So it's something yeah. that has to, I have to keep on top of. But luckily between... My awesome doctor, uh, and like being pretty diligent about medications and stuff. I have an that's awesome so great. Of curly hair still. When and you said, when you said injections, I was like, <laughs> if I'm lucky, because I have psoriasis, I was like, maybe she's getting sort like injections here to that because I, I have my my dad's my father's like bad Jewish hair genes, and so I've been balding since I was like. 28 <laughs> and then so dryness on the scalp all the time so i was like maybe she's getting like her injections so that the horrible scales don't come back you know i um i don't it, i think it sometimes shows up like as a little bit of dryness but honestly i i have so much hair that i i couldn't tell you <laughs> what it looks like super jealous um <laughs> it's it's, I will say, I, 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 bear, I have a lot of appreciation for my hair, which is like, as anybody else who's listening who has curly hair knows, most people, it takes a lot of growing into liking it. I used to straighten it all the time. No, I, I love it. I couldn't. Uh, and then, of course, I 
found that appreciation. I couldn't picture you with like straight. I couldn't picture it because I. Oh, I used to straighten my hair for work sometimes and like walk in and people who talk to me every day would walk <laughs> right past me. They oh, no. didn't even realize it was me um, all the time. So It's really and funny. They, yeah, you can just be, like, you'd be like, stealth in the office, which would make you having to leave for <laughs> doctor's appointments or like crowding on the things really, really easy. Just like, oh, it wasn't me. It was my, um, it was my, yeah. My twin. My twin with the straight hair. that girl that might look like me one time. If you look at her sideways, it looks at me. Um, uh, (laughs) So one of the things you talk about a lot (coughs) in your work, and one of the things that I was drawn to when I was reading today, was you talk about focusing on pleasure as a chronically ill person and how important that is. And I think why I wanted to bring this up for this conversation is because we never talk about disabled or chronically ill pleasure in conjunction with being disabled or chronically ill. So how is it that you, as Rachel Rose, focus on pleasure as a chronically ill person? So to be completely honest, this is something I really struggle with. Um, and it, it depends a lot about it's, – it's, it's hard. It's, it's like definitely – like I wish I could give some answer that's like I have it all figured oh, out. Oh no, I was Here's hoping you would. Like, what, what I'm excited about this answer is that you won't have it figured out because I don't. I definitely don't, um, and it's a kind of like an ever um, moving target. Um, something else I know that we were going to talk about in a little bit was is, is brain fog, and for me, um, this kind of ties in because having so I. I you know, you grow up, you have all these feelings about the way you look and all these, you know, like all these things that you're told and you don't fit this mold or whatever. And I had all these insecurities about that, but I never had any insecurities about my brain and my intelligence. That was always just kind of a given for me. It was always something I was able to access when I needed it and communicate my thoughts and feelings and um, something I prided myself on. So having brain fog, which like deeply impacts my ability to do any of those things, um, has really kind of like hit home for me in, in like a lot of ways that I'm still kind of learning to deal with. Um, and so that kind of tends to uh, make it make focusing on pleasure for me really hard because I'm sometimes so in my head that it's hard to even remember like that I'm like what the end goal was in the first place, like that I wanted to feel pleasure or or experience it because um, I get very in my head and then I just get stuck it in there. It's really like similar cycle. to like me with my internalized um, ableism around like my body and like when I'm having sex with somebody, even if it's great sex and we're having a great time, sometimes I'll be like, oh my God, I have to focus on this. What about this? Like, what about this? Oh no. What if my muscles do this? What if like my spasms do this? What if this is like, so yeah, I can, I can only imagine that plus all the things. It's a, it, that no, like, and you're totally right. It's, it sounds like a lot of the same inner monologue. Um, like trying to set, think five steps ahead or like uh, when it comes to pain, thinking like, is this going to hurt? And then sometimes getting to a point where like, even though, even if things haven't been painful lately, because I've luckily found a lot of um, ways that have been helpful to to manage vulva pain for me, um, even having like this, like your memory and your kind of your body remembering that you, that these things were uncomfortable or hurt for such a long time. Um, it's, it's sometimes like a hard anxiety hump to get over to get to where you can focus on pleasure. Um, and so I think I think something that I, I find that works for me, and this is something that I've been trying to do whenever I run into like a roadblock with my health stuff that I have no idea how to get around. And it usually takes a while to get to the point where I can think of these things. But um, 
is like sometimes it's really as somebody who hasn't I didn't grow up with a chronic illness. I didn't even have really symptoms uh, until seven or eight years ago. Um, it's it's really easy to spend a lot of time comparing myself in my head to the person that I was before, even though in so many ways outside of chronically being chronically ill, I'm a completely different person. Um, you kind of tend to have like this rose colored glasses view of the person you were before you were chronically ill. At least I do. Um, and I think that like sometimes just changing up the, like having new experiences and changing things up is a good way to kind of get around that because you don't have anything to compare it to. And so sometimes that easy, like helps you kind of shake off some of like the, the mental monologue feels because you're like, it's such a new thing. And if there's enough, for me at least, if there's enough like things happening around me or stimulation, like I'm too yeah, overwhelmed. Yeah, so if you like really overload your brain with a new thing, so, then you can be like, oh, I, don't, I can't think about this because I have nothing, this has never happened before. So that's like, I can't worry about how's, how it's going to feel or what it'll look like because I've never done it. Right, exactly. So instead of worrying about things being like, oh, it's not going to feel as good as the time, like some, because my nerves are very different than they used to be. And so things don't always feel as good, yep. even when I'm not having pain. Uh, or like, you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of vibrators. So I have like like a, a doxy and a magic wand, like at the ready uh, next to my bed, like at all times. Uh, but even on, there are times where like a low setting feels like too much. And then there are other days for no clear reason that I will turn it up as yeah. high as it goes and barely feel it. Um, and it varies. And so I don't even like, you know, when, when things are heading in that direction, I don't know, is this going to be a day where I can feel things and really enjoy it? Or like where, you know, it feels good, but like it's still too easy to be distracted by my own thoughts. And then you get in this loop of like when it takes, I've heard like this thing that it takes like five good experiences to outweigh a negative one. And so I think I always... I get in these funks after it's been like not a negative experience, but one that I didn't like yeah, the relationship I was having with my I body. have to do it four more and times so to like get rid of, yeah, to like reset to a my good spot with sex it. drive yeah. the way that I wanted to. I'm going to have to wait. Yeah, I never really thought about that because like, and that could also be for me like why, not in, the, not in exactly the same vein, but like why when I have sex with one partner and then mm -hmm. they disappear or I don't see them again or if it was a one-off or if I won't see them for a while, it's like, I get really depressed because I'm like, no, now I have to wait, you know, a bunch of more times to have sex with them where I feel safe again. Right. All right. Yeah. And no, I told that totally sounds like it's coming from the Ableism same thing. Ableism is so like, fun when it's internalized. Yay. <laughs> I, I'd say I'm usually, I'm like, I'm only ableist I'm to myself. I'm super ableist to myself all the time. All the time. Um, um, so to, to kind of keep going with that question. So what does bringing pleasure as a chronically yeah. ill person engaging in sex? Like what? And I don't mean, I don't mean uh, like graphically, like tell me what gets you off. I mean like what, if you were to look at like just simple things that bring you pleasure that kind of excite you kind of emotionally as a chronically ill person, do you have a few that you could think of? Definitely. Um, I, like things that remind me that my body does awesome things in addition to being a pain in the ass most of the time. Um, so like things that, it, this isn't inherently like a sexual thing, but things that make me feel sexy, which I think definitely makes, you know, like it's good to get the right headset for these things. So like uh, I, I do pole dancing um, and it's become like a really big hobby of mine and it makes me feel really sexy because 
not that I'm I'm not like a sexy dancer. Like I look really awkward in all the videos I like recorded me doing these routines. Um, like I don't know how to do a sexy face. Me it looks too. Me too. to be yeah. honest. But <laughs> but but you know, I feel so good about myself when I can get something new and, and kind of remind myself that my body does things that make me feel good about myself sometimes. Um, and like obviously it's gonna probably be a different thing for everybody else, but for me that that's something that puts me in a headset where I'm like body, you did good today. Like that kind of vibe. Um, and, uh, and that, so that's, that's really helpful to kind of like be able to get out of my head about my chronic illness that's and awesome. focus on positive things about myself. Um, and I think also things that are like more obviously connected to sex would be like, um, kind of like, and, and you hear this advice a lot, but it's so much easier said than done is to like not focus on orgasms and just kind of focus more on the contact between you I agree. and whoever you're yes, with. Yes, but you, I also agree with you and that it's really hard to do that because like I, and I, I'm starting to get to a place where that's okay, but there is a, it has taken me, I'm, I've been seeing this, this person on and off for a while now and we're not in any kind of relationship. We just mm-hmm. fuck around. But like to know that they can leave and I don't have to come and it's okay and they still like me and I still like them and like there was no expectation that I come and if I don't they're not gonna it's not a big deal like that's nice but it takes forever to get there because society tells me that I'm supposed to come in order to have had sex I have to come all over you which isn't necessarily Mm -hmm. the truth right it's 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 also goes back to like kind of expanding your definition of sex like there are people who probably think that if I'm sure because it's kind of like the the narrative we're told that like if nobody finishes it wasn't sex or depending on what the act was maybe but um but like it's it's really like just focusing on like like touching each other and like enjoy like what is fun and enjoyable and I personally prefer sex if it's real like weird and goofy just like I I think of most random shit during sex and it makes like and I can't get it out of my head usually until I say it out loud so I'm just like random interludes and just kind of like being comfortable and like finding ways to kind of explore like your bodies and, and your sexual attraction to each other in ways that aren't uh yeah that aren't like i'm gonna finish oriented. this and i'm gonna i'm gonna finish so hard and like, like you, we don't always need the money shot the money shot could be hey i want to stop and just lie here for a minute and be goofs like that like wouldn't it be awesome if that was the porn Yeah, like I mean, that's it's it's so much more real. It's like it's sexy because it's real. Yeah, like that totally, would actually totally. be pretty fantastic. Seeing people who are like legitimately attracted to each other do it's pretty much anything. A, is, no, is to me too. Hot. It's such a turn on. Like wow. Um, so I want to I want to touch on. I have a tangent that I won't get to it soon because I have something that I want to ask you about Jewishness and food that I'm excited about. Um, <laughs> but I want to ask you about how, so we, we talk a little bit about brain fog. How does, and you also talk a lot about it in your work mm-hmm. about, about your sense of self-worth and your sense of like, of working as a, as a sex blogger and all those things, how they connect with your chronic illness. How does brain fog impact your sense of self-worth as a chronically ill person? This is a, this is a, I have, I have all the feelings about this. Um, (laughs) It is, it is, you know, I feel like when you, we develop chronic illness and symptoms and especially with a disease like mine, where the symptoms, especially the ones that are most problematic and impactful in your life, keep changing constantly. um, 
it's, it's, you, you think like, oh my God, I don't know how, how am I ever going to deal with this? And then the next thing happens and it's like a bigger problem. Uh, and then you're like, wow, that last thing doesn't seem so bad. And then the next thing happens and it's just like this vicious, this horrible cycle of like, oh, fuck. Of, um, well, those, those first 10 problems didn't seem so big, like, like a big deal anymore. Um, and honestly, I, brain fog has been, it, for one, it is the silliest name for such a, for something that has completely derailed a lot of things in my life. Um, because, and for anybody who's not familiar, so brain fog, it's hard to describe, um, but it's, it can either be caused by chronic illness or, or I've heard people refer to it as like as a side effect of medications for some of them. Uh, and there's no like official diagnosis of brain fog. It's not a thing that's like wildly um, agreed upon as a title um, by doctors. Um, but it's basically like a non-permanent cognitive, cognitive and executive dysfunction um, that can uh, that can last even though it's not permanent for days or hours or months. All right, so forget forget my ignorance. So is um, it like and I forgot my keys right now, or is it like I don't know who I am? Like, is it? Somewhere in that spectrum? So it's both. It's both. So I've been trying to like mentally put this into some kind of logical order to explain to other people. And I don't have quite have it yet, but I, I can tell that it exists to a, uh, on a spectrum. So there are days where I will say something just silly. Like I told my partner that the neighbors needed to iron their lawn, meaning mow the lawn, but like the wrong word came out of my mouth. Um, and there are times where I am so... Suddenly, like, and then on the other end of the spectrum, uh, it's more like there was, uh, I'm a very independent person. I like to travel by myself, whatever. Uh, and there was a time that we were both in a Target together and he left the aisle. And I, I must have been re like reacting to something on the clothing or a chemical um, in the store. And I couldn't figure out how to get to where he was, even though I knew he was a couple aisles over. Uh, like he told me where he was going. I just was like feeling very... I couldn't figure out how to take the steps to get to where he was, which sounds even to me like it's hard to picture being in that position because I know how I feel the yeah. rest of, like, you know, when I'm healthy and, and thinking clearly. Um, so I know it sounds like a stretch to believe that, but it's, it's really kind of fascinating. I wish it wasn't happening to me, but it, it is fascinating. It's this sensation that I, I develop, um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the, the word for being too sensitive to certain things, uh, like, um, like suddenly noises are making me really jumpy. Uh, there's a word for it and I can't think of it right now. Um, but I'll get really jumpy. So like there was thunder at this particular, in this particular incident, I remember it was thundering outside and I literally like almost jumped out of my skin. Uh, I have almost fallen off of chairs before because like someone will like slam a door and I'll be so Startled. just kind of like, uh, like my nervous system is yeah. so like kind of jacked up that like I'm just in this this almost like fight or flight thing because even though nothing is obviously happening on the outside like your body thinks it's basically under attack so you know picture how you'd feel if you were being chased by a lion and then that's basically happening I mean, that, internally that, that <laughs> you know and terrifying. it makes more sense when you so, think about it that so, way but so now, now I can understand a little bit because when you first when you when you broached brain fog with me even I went oh so it's just like sometimes forgetting I, I wish it was. Uh, and, and then sometimes it's as simple as that, but it can still be really impactful like on your, on your overall self-worth because so, so one of the things I do is, you know, like doing podcasts. Um, I love doing these things and I don't do them very often because 
I worry about how I will be able to sound. I know that I'm intelligent and that I know these facts, yeah. but sometimes I can't well, access any of that just information. Just for the record, you sound great. Um, uh, and I'm honored that like awesome. I'm one of the few yes. that you've done. Thank you so much. Uh, and But I know I appreciate you laying it out because when I, again, when I first heard brain fog, I literally went, oh no, it just means they forget every now and then. But now I understand it's like, and I don't think it's just, it's obviously, it's obviously so much more than that, but I think why it's probably hard to understand is because like one minute you're good and the next minute your brain says, I don't know how to manage mm-hmm. that. Like, like it's not the same thing, but because of my disability, I have a lot of spatial awareness stuff. So if you said to me, Andrew, go down this mm-hmm. road and turn, go on the Southwest corner of that street over there. I'd be like, what the fuck is Southwest? And I wouldn't know how to like get to you. Like there was a point when I was like in college, somebody was like, "Oh yeah, just go north on this road and then turn, go right over here." Like I can't read, I can't read maps, and I'm the worst with directions. So I constantly get lost going places where I've already been like four or five times. So again, not the same thing, but I I understand the fear of like, and then you get mad at yourself because you're like, "I'm a grown up. Why don't? I, why can't I figure this out?" And if yeah. I just try harder, I'll be able to get it. Uh, I feel like that constantly because, um, and it's especially something as, as somebody trying to to run a bunch of, uh, I have I have like a number of side projects I mean, that make up like a full, like multiple jobs. Um, and so to do all those things and then to realize like um, that I, I can't, it takes me longer. So something that'll take me 20 minutes will take me three or four hours or maybe even multiple days. And it's like, I can't figure out why it's taking me so long. There, there are times I have brain fog and I don't realize till after it's over that I had brain fog because I, I can't tell. And so it gets to a certain point where you are questioning every judgment you make and every decision and everything you say. Because you don't you know don't if it was brain fog or if you just know if genuinely you forgot. Clearly. Right. And, and there are times where I know that brain fog, like when I have brain fog, I tend to feel more anxious. Um, I, brain fog could be, because especially not, it's not a specific diagnosis, it can be caused by a lot of different things. For me, it's brain inflammation caused by all the chemicals mast cells release. Um, so it's almost it's like mini version of like hydrocephalus? But, um, I mean, maybe, but I'd probably have to do, I, I, I'm not going to like confirm or deny that because I don't think I know enough about it to, to give an answer, but um uh, but it's uh, it's I lost my train of thought. You, uh, you know? brain brain uh, falls. What was I saying? Um, brain fog. I forgot what. <laughs> there was a point to what I was we saying, had... and I just like I was like, nope, nope, it's gone now. But any anyway, brain fog is, is something that you, you start picking apart everything you're doing. I realized that, like, uh, as somebody who. Chronic illness has put me in a position, especially with the fragrance sensitivities, that I have to ask people to accommodate me constantly in ways that they're not not only un- completely unfamiliar with, that I'm usually the first person they've talked to who ha- who needs them to like not use certain detergents or like I have to think about if someone wants to drive somewhere, like I'll drive in my car because maybe they had an air freshener in their car six years ago and I still have a reaction to it depending on like how it absorbed the fabric, just in these wild it's ways. Be- and so... I, I already feel like I'm making myself smaller. And with brain fog, it's, it's kind of eating away yeah. at a lot of the self-esteem that I've always had because I can't impact my brain. And so I feel like that just continually, like I'm making myself 
smaller and, and not take up so much space. And I think a lot of that's being socialized as a woman, but it kind totally of all plays does. together, um, unfortunately. So I'm trying to think of like, kind of a Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like what I had a question and I forget what it is. Uh, I had a question about, Oh yeah. So when you're with partners who like, when you're, when you when typically in the hookup culture, like sex culture, want to smell good. So mm-hmm. the, personal wear like a lot of perfumes or deodorants or like things to make themselves smell good before the sex have you ever had to be like whoa don't wear that because i'm gonna have a moment if you do like have you ever been getting down with somebody and like they've taken off their shirt and you're like whoa i can't do that because too much sensitivity so it's never gotten to that point because if i'm even in the same room as them i'll start having a reaction like they will start get like you know within I have a I have an incredible sense of smell on top of all these weird allergies, um, and so like they'll walk into the, like the house or the room and I'd be like, well, we've got a problem, <laughs> um, and so it, it it wouldn't be able to get to that point yep. without me noticing because I would have already had a reaction um, with with the like how sensitive I am now, um, and back when like the sensitivity it keeps getting I keep getting progressively more sensitive, but I was still monogamous at the time um, that where like it was kind of developing and that maybe would have occurred. So, um, and my partner, all my, my partners are all really wonderful about, um, about accommodating me, but that's something I like, I have it on my OkCupid profile. I was like, because, because some people, and not to be dramatic, but some people act like when you ask them not to wear certain things or even just perfume and cologne that you were like, Taking away their right to have a gun or something dramatic, like really, they get that defensive. Like I've, wow, yeah, it's. I I actually like meeting people online because I just like anybody who I put in there, and and if they have a problem with it, like next things by. Yeah, no, and it's um, it it. The issue I have isn't with. I have found a lot of really incredible people. To surround myself with who are really understanding and considerate about it um and that has been that has been so good for me feeling good about myself too like i don't feel like i'm an inconvenience to people because that was something i dealt with for a while um and uh and so they're all really wonderful but i do often struggle with people uh like certain situations so like if i get invited to people's house for things like if especially if they're newer friends like i don't want to be the person who's like so i'd love to attend your dinner party but let me ask you, do you use this detergent? Do you have like fragrance things in your house? Have you ever had a Glade plug-in in your house? Because those things smell forever. Um, do you have this, that, and like, like I'm going through a whole All the things list you can't like, have and then you become you the problem change. because like, oh, you're that person. I'm like, I'll just, you know, oh, I can't make it that night. Sorry. Like invite me next time. Let's have it at my house next time or something like that. Because, you know, it, it, I think it, especially with new people, sometimes it's easier just to I don't want to be known for having that kind of like for being that kind of person. Not that there's a problem. Like it's good to protect yeah, yourself I mean, and, and self care is way really society, important. Like, but for me, it's just a matter. Read of that. It's all oh, she's being, and because you, because you present a certain way too, like visually, and you don't quote unquote look sick. I'm sure the idea of mm-hmm. you bringing this up is like, oh, she's just being, she's being problematic. She wants it to be this way, blah blah. Like when really you're like, no, it's a real problem. Please don't like do that. Yeah. Sometimes people don't realize the severity of it. So like, um, they'll be like, I'm not wearing anything. And I'm like, well, your deodorant is like making me really sick. And they're like, oh, you can smell that? I'm like, yeah, 
yeah, I can't. Like, it, and it, or it'll be like, um, or they will be really considerate, but like fragrances are designed in a way yeah. that absorb into both the skin and clothing. So they stay longer. Um, you ever see this? There's like, there's certain commercials. I think it's like Downey or something. It's like, uh, and the, their, their sales tactic is that it lasts for months and months. That is literally my worst nightmare um, or one of them because you can wash things a ton of times, even with things that don't have fragrance in it and it, they might still smell. Um, so that sometimes is an issue with people who, who are really accommodating. And that's probably what I'd run into more with um, like in a, in a sexy situation with partners. If somebody like tried to accommodate it, but like leftover fragrances are on their stuff. That yeah, but I can, I can imagine. Like, it hasn't happened yet though. I can just, I'm just imagining a scenario where like you're in a hookup situation or somebody with similar symptoms is in a hookup situation and they have to be like, um, I can't, I can't do this right now because you decided to put like some cologne around your balls or like, you know, just, <laughs> I'm sure that, I'm sure that, I mean, I hope. That sounds that like a terrible plan in the first place. You know, when you're a young person, sure you sometimes it. think it's, it's a cool thing to be, to like, I don't know, cologne your balls. And <laughs> Well, you know, and the, and the other the other side of that coin would be like uh, people with vulvas are often taught that they smell bad or like there's all these, you know, they should just be like they should smell like flowers, flowers and, and, and like bumblebees and, and, and love, and, yeah, know, whatever, not have hair, the whole whatever. But um, I and it has I haven't run into it yet. But if somebody were to use a fragranced like douche or wipe or something, that would be a huge problem for me. And you're right, I wouldn't know until yeah. their clothes came off because I doubt I'd be able to smell it under all their clothing. That would, oh, I never thought of that. I should probably, <laughs> that's a good thing to keep, uh, to keep <laughs> an, an eye um, out for, so to speak. Um, so many innuendos in that or last like, sentence. Throw that like, out there in some awkward way. That. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to go off on a tangent because I want to get it in there before I forget. So we talked earlier about how we're both kind of Jewish. We're Jewish. Um, what is your favorite Jewish food? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, my mom oh, makes so this good. killer kugel. Um, it's like a sweet kugel, uh, but it's got cream cheese in it. So she's, I'm not going to to all of my other health stuff. I, um, I So my mom makes this. She made it with um, she went lactose-free sour cream and then tofu cream cheese, and it's still really good. So she makes it sometimes around the holidays. Uh, and then um, my grandmother's recipe for schnecken. Which is like for who, people who don't know. Oh, so kugel is like, um, it's like a, it sounds kind of gross, like a wettish cake made with noodles it's like weird, and sugary. Like it can be made with a lot of things. But yeah. the one I like is made with like egg noodles and sugar and cream it, cheese. Yeah, it's like it sweet sounds lasagna. gross. It's really it's good. So, Just trust so us good. on this one. Yes, it's it, it's like that, that's probably a good description of it. Um, and then schnecken is like. Um, like a wrapped pastry. I've with never cinnamon. had it. It sounds like sort a Yiddish word for it's penis. Like, um, oh, it's like the. It does sound like that. It, but it's it's like um. I wonder if that's where it comes from because it's like they're like little. They're wrapped in like a, a phallic shape, I guess. Um, but I never thought about it that way. But I guess yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, they're kind of like a crescent shape, but real small, and they're like got cinnamon. And sometimes you have like nuts or apples, like I'm walnuts gonna, and apples. I'm gonna Google it right now because I. I feel like as a Jewish person, I should know what it is. And then somebody, one of my super Jewish friends can, oh, it looks, I mean, what I'm seeing is it kind of looks like it's like a, it looks like a pastry, but the pictures that Google is showing me is it's like a, it's like a crescent roll. Yeah. 
Exactly. That's all. Uh, and my grandma had this, had this awesome recipe for it. My favorite Jewish food, though, of all time, hands down, no question, like 1,000% is latkes. I mean... Latkes are good. I was praying you weren't going to say what? you could fill I don't think I can be a... F- how do you not... It's not a fan. <laughs> I hate. Well, I don't eat. I don't even eat seafood. I don't. I'm not a bit. I'm not a. But it's, a fan it's of something fish. about I don't know. the fish They're that makes me, me excited. I don't know. Right. No. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Corned I'm down beef. for Corned that. Beef is um, my, my. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm gonna. Right, cool. We're friends again. <laughs> so that okay. was an awesome little tangent I went on. <laughs> so one of the last things I want to ask you about is I was <laughs> rummaging through your blog this morning to do my research, my pretend quote-unquote research for this mm-hmm. interview. Um, and you talk a little bit in your work about apologizing, and I really, really, really connected to this theme because as a disabled, queer, crippled person, I apologize a lot, even if I haven't done anything wrong. Like, if if somebody wants to get in an elevator and I'm there and they mm-hmm. go first, they're like, oh, sorry, you go ahead. Like, I'm immediately the first person to apologize for everything, especially when it comes to like sex and relationships and boys and people that I want to get naked with. I apologize before I even start because I'm like, I must be wrong. Mm -hmm. So, or like, like doing this with me is wrong or me as the disabled person is the wrong one. So I'm going to allay their fears before I do anything. Um, And I love what you wrote about how you talk about how we don't really have to stop apologizing. What is that? What is the the art of not apologizing or stop or no stopping to apologize mean to you and how and talk more about how your chronic illness affected this idea of the apology for you? Sure. So I think uh, as somebody who's been socialized with, as a woman, um, I think that could probably and probably like my specific family and like upbringing too. Um, impacted like the fact that I, I apologize like as if it's the word like uh, or like sure the word sorry can, just kind of Canadian falls into sentences without it. even sometimes I might be <laughs> that would make more sense I'd have a better excuse for saying it all the time yeah we'll I was just um, gonna say we can will I be like an honorary Canadian mail for you not to worry amazing oh, thank you I appreciate that it's not the I feel I feel like 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 the Canadian welcome would be very, I mean, would apologize, very, very would apologize. Uh, kind and yeah, and it would you know, come with like it would just say sorry on the front yeah, page. Yeah, it would be like sorry, oh we sorry, get so, but we're so happy you're here. So sorry we didn't do it sooner. Yes. <laughs> um, and I, I, I and as some so I wrote that when I was I was struggling with this last job that I left and that inspired me to. Uh, to that I was like, this isn't nothing, not, this isn't working anymore. Like I need to do something better. And it was, um, a boss who was, I just, she kept telling me I was apologizing too much. Um, she's a, As they she all claimed do. to be a yep, feminist. Yep. Um, but it was very much, uh, um, like very much, uh, the, like the standard definition of, of like white feminism. So it's people who, who, uh, who, who are feminists or people who are exactly like them, uh, in a very, very simplified explanation. Uh, and, um, she, like, if I was, she was a feminist for anybody else who was like a worky, who, who worked and didn't have health issues and who was in her socioeconomic class and, and, you know, so all the things and, and that she constantly made me feel like I was doing things wrong just by existing. And then that's something at the time I was dealing with a lot of, um, 
as somebody who needed everybody to accommodate them. Uh, and um, what annoyed me the most about being told to stop apologizing so much or that I was doing something wrong by apologizing uh, was that one, not only were people making me feel like I was in a position to apologize for, but I was socialized to behave this way. So, and, and, and then I, I looked, I was, I forget why I found on this Google rabbit hole, but I was looking up different, I think I came across an article about, uh, on Twitter about, about, about how like women apologize too much and how you can stop apologizing. And I realized like, that's not really the issue. The issue, uh, and this, this goes for really any, I think like marginalized group, um, is that they're often, that we're often taught to, to apologize more, but at the same time, it's not like we're somehow, yeah. we're also responsible for fixing this problem that we didn't cause. And so instead of changing the behavior, which is to expect that we should apologize for existing, um, we're told that we should just get over it and stop apologizing and be, and be stronger or yeah. more courageous or, you know, more confident. When that's not really the issue in the first place. I'm plenty confident. But if I'm feeling like I'm inconveniencing everyone around me by being in a the space, then yeah, I feel like I need to, like it puts me in a And then when somebody like says like, oh, stop apologizing, um, it just reaffirms that you should have apologized. So like, it's a vicious cycle of like, de- mm-hmm. like, just say it's a vicious cycle of, of ableism again, or like not just ableism, but any kind of ism, just re repackaged in the apology. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's just a lot. And I think that, um, it was about, I can pull about, it up. It was about, it was about, tell us, tell us how you've, yeah. Oh, the chronic illness stuff, right? Um, I, I think I think cover that a bit, but I, it's it's more that I suddenly there was so much more to apologize for. So like I think um, that the people I've I've been able to surround myself with, especially in like the last year or so, have been um, uh, especially from people from the sex positive community. I have this whole group of friends that are just like spectacular and really supportive, uh, and and I recently went on vacation with them, and they there was 13 of us staying in one house, including me. And every one of them went out of their way to buy products that wouldn't make me sick. But which is like, to me was like the most meaningful and touching thing in the whole world. Um, because, you know, when I wrote this article, I was in a, I was dealing with a lot of people who like even not putting on perfume in the morning, which isn't even really changing something. It's just not doing something. Made me like they, they made me feel like they like I needed to know that they were going out of their way to accommodate me. Yeah, which is almost you know, like even worse. They did, like, why do you have to tell me? Why, me that they did. Me, or, like, why do I have to be a part of this? If you really gave a shit about our friendship, you would maybe stop, like, like stop looking for validation because you did a thing, right? And and how often do I need to thank yeah. people for allowing me to be in the same space as them? You know. Oh, thank you for doing that. I really appreciate when you do that. Like, and it gets to a point where I, a thank you is almost the same thing as an apology. You know, you're just like you're either apologizing for being so, there yeah, or showing like this unending gratitude that you um, were allowed to exist there with. Them. So, do you have you given no more fucks and like fuck apologizing? Is that kind of where you are at, or is it something you're working through? Um. It's something that still falls out of my mouth, like as if it's the word like or like I'm Canadian. Um, but it is something that I don't feel, uh, I feel like is more like a, like a, 
a manner of speech, not uh, a sentiment. Like the, the sentiment isn't there anymore. I think it's it's cleared up a lot. So like, I don't feel like I'm really apologizing for myself so much as like, you know, I know I apologize in this podcast because I there was a couple spaces where like I interrupted you by accident and didn't mean to. Um, and so oh, like, that no, felt no, no. appropriate. And this but podcast I don't feel like is like, what I love about this the world as much is that it's totally conversational. You know? And like, that's why when we started talking, I was like, when when I hit when it, before right. I hit record, I said I don't want to do the whole like hi welcome to the I was like I want to just let it flow because we were having such a good conversation before and so I think well, I think what I love about us cutting each other off is we were both so excited to like talk to each other that we were like tripping over each other's excitement of actually being in the same space so that's awesome. Exactly, I heard someone explain it to me at some point uh, in the last few years that was like saying how like it's a cultural difference. And actually, you know, this goes back to the, weirdly, it was, uh, it goes back to the Jewish thing. The per- the example the person gave me was that in, um, in Judaism, like cutting each other off and speaking over each other uh, is uh, seen as a sign of being engaged in the conversation where, but in, uh, with other cultural backgrounds. Um, Cause I see oh, Judaism, I mean, totally, Judaism obviously has a religious I am so component, but I see more it, like, Jewish kind of culturally cultural than I am too, religiously. So. Like I, it's like, that's why I said, you know, you, we both have, Jewish twang and I that I could like I could tell when we started talking I was like we're I knew right away it's an accent so yeah no I, I agree that it's totally a cultural thing right yes so I absolutely and so I think um and then other cultures that like cutting people off is seen as being rude or or um like you don't want to hear what the person has to say and I think that it's that's an interesting perspective because I've never heard that before um and I, I think it's kind of a matter of that, like we were both getting excited. And I think that there are different types of apologies. And I think the fact that I don't ever, I, I try to show my appreciation. I mean, not excessively, but like when people do nice things for me, I want to tell them I appreciate it. Um, even including when people are accommodating my health stuff. Um, but I know that I have more, I feel better about the fact that they're doing it because they want to spend time with me and not because I they have to, right? Like it's not something I've put them in a position to. They don't have to be my friends. Um, and I appreciate that the people in my life who are my friends just accommodate me because it makes me feel – I'm able – then I can share space with them and, and spend time with them. Um, and I, I, I've been told by friends too, and this is like a really positive light to shine on this, is that it helps them be more um, – it's helped my friends be more accommodating and accepting with other people with different differences. Um, kind of like in how to approach it and and how to accommodate people. So I kind of love that it's having that unintentional impact that hopefully making spaces it's raising you know, awareness in a totally different, different way, situations more accessible and accommodating is, for other people. I mean, and I apologize all the time, and yeah. I apologize at the worst yeah. times. Like I'll apologize as I'm trying to give somebody a blowjob. Like, oh, sorry, I did a thing. Like Andrew, shut the fuck up. Stop apologizing for like how your body's doing and just do the thing. Do you ever find that when you're in bed with somebody, you the need to say sorry lots is, is stronger for you as a marginalized person? Yeah, definitely. I try not to, um, but it's hard to. So, so one thing I run into a lot is with vulva pain. Um, I have a friend who describes their vulva like it's a combination lock. It's like two to the left, three to the right, back around once again, and like, bam, orgasm. Uh, and I am the absolute polar opposite of that, even before I had health issues. So it's constantly like a new space that hurts every day. And I'm not really sure. I, I sometimes don't know what hurts until it does. And so it's constantly this battle of like, actually not not there, to the left. No, no, that hurts too. Okay, over here. Like, no, that hurts too. And it's 
And I feel like I need to apologize for, for giving this, even though it's really important to communicate in bed and to like to give that kind of instruction. I also feel like it's super hard to be sexy and to be like, actually, that hurts too. And yeah, that, like I, and I was with somebody actually, the other day. Let me do it. I'll do it myself. Like, it's just, um, and um, he was trying to get me off and it wasn't happening. I was having a great time, but I wasn't going to come. And he, uh, he was like, he was like, are you all right? And, and I was like, no, no, it's hurting. He's like, you have to tell me. Why didn't you tell me? And I was like, because I didn't want to be the one, the disabled guy in pain when you're trying to do the thing. I didn't want to be like, even if it was just a normal pain that somebody else might feel, whether they were disabled or not, I didn't want to be the one, the obvious one in pain. Cause then of course it would be, cause I'm the disabled one. So I know, definitely know how it feels to be the one to always like overseeing the sex. Like it's this clinical thing because you want to make sure you're okay. And it takes a while to just let go of that and enjoy. It's sometimes it's so hard to get out of your head because you're, because even when you, even when you don't think things will hurt or it hasn't hurt historically, if other things have hurt, uh, a lot of times it's like this, your body, like you're bracing yourself for it, even if you're not sure it's going to happen. And you're like, is that, does it hurt? Is it going to hurt? Does that hurt now? Like it's this other like side conversation you're having with yourself. Um, and if you're somebody who, who like tends to be yeah, very in their head during completely. sex anyway, it can like totally um, exacerbate You and that. I could talk for um, 75 more hours because yeah. I love all yeah. the things. Um, but I'm sure my listening audience I is like, okay. <laughs> I'm sure you love us both because we're great, but I'm going to end the conversation here because, because, but how do people get a hold of you? How can they hire you to do the things? Um, do a shameless self plug. I can do that. Um, so you can check out my blog at hedonish.com, H E D O N I S H. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at hedonish. Uh, and uh, on Facebook, that's Hedonish as well. Um, you can reach out to me for different things. I am blanking on exactly what my services are right now, um, but uh, especially consulting about uh, if, if you have questions about uh, chronic illness or vulva pain and ha having great sex, I'd love to help. Um, I also am a graphic designer, so I'm going to plug that here too, uh, as I am kind of launching my graphic design business, which is, okay, you're going to love this. It's, my name for my business is Genetic Lemon. <laughs> I love it so much. I am a genetic lemon. So much. I don't know. You Are you familiar with like the car, like the lemon car thing? I don't know if it's a US thing. There's a car law in the United States called, um, it's a lemon law. And it's for cars that uh, like look fine and then they break a certain amount of times. And so you can like sometimes re-return them, I believe. Uh and so my friend told me I was basically, I'm like a lemon. Everything looks great on the outside, but under the hood, nothing works. That's so I was like, I'm a so giant lemon. And so I, I decided to name it. I'm so there that. for that. Yes. Um, yes. I'm super excited about it. Um, and I'm working on the website now. So that'll be it's out at geneticlemon.com. Like, depending like two on when this launches. So, uh, uh, and depending on when my website launches. Awesome. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll do my best to get it up by then. But there is a temporary one up there. Uh, like a temporary loading um, coming soon That's site that has a, a form. All the things, Rachel Rose, I, this is a, such a fun free flowing conversation. Um, it was so good. Uh, and I, I love listen, this. This is fantastic. think about doing a genetic lemon podcast. Like I would listen to that. I would listen to the fuck out of that. So let's, <laughs> let's talk off the air about maybe me helping you produce a thing. Cause so fun. Um, 
All right, well. I would love that. That would be really exciting. Um, I, would, I would absolutely love that. It was that. so great. To, I, I will have you this back so at some Thank point you for having some me on. other episode because too good, too good. Even if the whole episode is just us talking about Jewish food choices, I'm awesome. there for that. Now I'm so hungry. As soon as I get off this, some, this some finish some recording cheerios. this, I'm going to go eat something. No, no. <laughs> oh, matzo ball soup. I didn't even matzo mention that. Soup. I have like, I make matzo ball, I mean, matzo ball soup in like 90 degree weather. Next time like, you come through Toronto, we're, really we're going to just do it out. I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> I'm so there for that. All right, Rachel, it was so fun. We'll yes, talk soon. Thank excited. you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Have a good all right, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following Pod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing. You help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities. So I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Udiucci. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.